The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I discuss the bombshell interview dropped on the wrestling world and welcome in one of the men responsible for it. John Moxley, formerly Dean Ambrose, vented all of his frustrations about working for the WWE in an exclusive interview on Talk is Jericho. Bully and I react to some of the highlights on today's show. Plus, we welcome in one of the number one contenders for the AEW World Championship and the man responsible for the John Moxley interview. Chris Jericho joins us for a very special conversation. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Damn it, Moxley took my spot. I was the number one on Jericho's podcast, and now this kid comes along and kicks me out, just like you kicked me out of the host chair today. Ugh. Times man. change, man. It's what have you done for me lately, not what, I- for, what you did for me <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but getting back to that sit-down, it's so eye-opening. And again, if you haven't listened to it, you know, as soon as we sign off the air at noon Eastern time, you definitely want to take a listen to Talk is Jericho with John Moxley. And we're we're playing some of the sound here today because it is so talk show worthy. But we talked about how frustrated he got with the character and that, and he mentioned how it wasn't cool, it wasn't relatable, it wasn't somebody you would want to root for. The sin of it all is how it started to make him feel as a performer and a wrestler. And again, not only what he feels, but maybe what some of the other locker room was feeling as well. You know, sure. if we didn't have to run around trying to, like, make ourselves not look like idiots and get rid of pooper scooper lines and stuff like that, you know, we could actually sit down and tell a story. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're just we're all just in self-preservation mode trying to not look like idiots instead of, like, creating good things. And he's like, ah, I, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever, so whatever. Do that promo. I think that one's pre-taped. Come back in the writer's room. And I'm like, any update? No update yet, but we did get this. Notes from BKM. And it says, notes from BKM. Dean needs to understand why he needs to insult the audience. Dean needs to read his promos verbatim and not try to rewrite them. And I'm just like... Uh, just like the feeling of getting punched in the gut, like, just like, what? The? And, I, and I said, the writer, it's not his fault, but I yelled at him. He just took the brunt of it. I was like, why do I work here? I'm a, I'm a professional wrestler who can tell stories and come up with promos, and I can, I believe that I have the ability to talk people into buildings, and I'd learned those skills years ago and wanted to bring them here to WWE, and you just want me to say your stupid lines. If you want somebody to read your stupid lines, hire an actor, because they'll probably do a better job of it than me. I'm not interested in doing it. All right, a lot here, Bully, that I want to get your reaction to. Um, in that in that 60-second clip, he said so much. Uh, when, he, when he talked about worrying about the self-preservation, I mean, think about that, like, Imagine going into the workplace. Imagine you and I going on the air doing this show. And while we're doing this show, we're not worried about, you know, putting on a good show or being creative or what we're going to talk about, but just trying to survive through the show without hurting your character or hurting yourself as a performer. Doesn't feel like that's kind of like a healthy way or a healthy work environment. It's a horrible way to, 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 to go about it. Drive into the arena walking on eggshells all day, knowing, oh, my God, they're going to hand me chicken shit. How do I turn it into chicken salad? 
how do I make it palatable for this audience so they won't stop buying my T-shirt or they won't stop investing in me? So I, I understand where he comes from. Everything that Dean says, I can relate to. Wow. Now, when you say everything he said you can relate to, is it, so you've been there. You've been there. You had to, you know, persevere, as he said, self-preservation. There were, there were things that went on, and, and I don't want to make this about me, but you asked. There were things that went on in my career there with Devon where we would show up, and basically we're like, are, are, are you out of your mind? Are you serious? You really want to do this? There, there, was, there was one time when they wanted us to drop the championships to Paul London and, uh, and, um, and uh, uh, Billy Kidman. And Vince is like, this will be good for them. I said, yeah, it'll be good for them tonight. But then what's going to happen the next day? What are you going to send them out there as your champions? You think they're going to be over? I said, they'll, they'll, they'll be good as long as they're with us. But once you let them on their own, it's not going to work. And lo and behold, it didn't work. When Vince decided to split me and Devon up, we told him it's not going to work. And lo and behold, it did not work. So uh, everything that he is saying about being handed wonky lines or being put in scenarios that are, you know, where you're just trying to tread water, completely relate to everything. And you know what? If Tommy Dreamer was on, he can relate to it. And when you have Mark on tomorrow, ask him if he can relate to it. I'm sure Mark's been through the same stuff more times than not. And the other thing, too, that really got me, and and it's a clip that I want to play here, just piggybacking off of but, what but, you but just Before heard. we go into that, sure. Dean, Dean said something about, you know, uh, being hired to say these stupid lines. In reality, that's exactly what you're hired to do. But see, this is you're what, hi- I'm not to interrupt, but this is the frustrating thing as a fan. Because if you're hiring a Dean Ambrose, if you, if you love- Who was he- Dean? Hold on. Who was Dean Ambrose before he got hired by the WWE? He was John Moxley, indie wrestler. Who and and did John Moxley, indie wrestler, set the world on fire? He created a buzz for himself enough he to cre- get hired by the WWE. Correct, and then they brought him in and they made him what they wanted to make him. And when you sign your name on that dotted line, this is why I say it's so important to read your own contract. When you sign your name on that dotted line, you're giving complete creative control to them. They, can, they created the character of Dean Ambrose. They pushed the character of Dean Ambrose. And this is why they feel like they can put the words in Dean Ambrose's mouth. So that's, real, that's a real slippery slope right there. Because hired to pay, say their stupid lines. Well, yeah. You're kind of hired to say their stupid lines and live out their stupid storylines or whatever they want you to whatever you they want you to do for that day or that month or whatever. But then you got to look at it as like, well, you know what? Steve Austin was the ringmaster. He slipped out of that. Why can't I slip out of this? Die Rocky die. He got out of that. Why can't I get out of this? But it seems like for for Dean Ambrose there was no way out. Like, you're bringing up examples of, like, characters that weren't going anywhere and the fans were rejecting. You know, when it came to Dean Ambrose, it's a lot tougher because you bring it up. Like, the numbers are good. The attendance is good. People love you. Like, how can Dean Ambrose go to Vince McMahon and say, you know what? What you're writing for me is terrible. Like, let me be me. You hired me for a reason. These are the reasons you hired me, but you're not letting me be. It, it's it's almost like, you know, here, SiriusXM hired you, bully. Why? Because you and I had conversations. You're super opinionated. I loved your observations, plus what you can bring as being, a, a you know, a pro wrestler. But if you came in the studio and everything was written out for you, and I'm telling you what you have to say during the show, you would probably turn to me and say, then why the hell did you hire me, LaGreca, if you, you're going to tell me what to say on the air? You hired me for me. You didn't create Bully Ray. You didn't create Bubba Ray. I did. That's what you wanted. You wanted all the equity that came along with it. They didn't hire Dean. They made Dean. And, and, and to Dean's credit, he did everything he could possibly do. Going to Vince is all you can do. Who, at the end of the day, Dave, who's your be-all and end-all boss? It's Steve Cohen. 
Okay, so but before Steve, there is Marissa, right? Yeah, Marissa. We, ha- we have Marissa. Yes. If you go to Marissa and you don't get the answers that you want from Marissa, like let's say Marissa tells you to do something and you don't want to do it, and you said, okay, I, I got to go talk to Steve Cohen. You go to Steve Cohen and you're like, Steve, I don't like this about the show. We got to change it. And Steve says, no, you do it this way, Dave. What are you going to do? <laughs> I have no choice. You no, know, you have a choice. It's to, to leave. You can either leave or you can do what the channel's vision is for the show. Well, I mean, and for a while, that's what Dean did. But by doing that, Bully, it took something away, and it took away his passion. Uh, no doubt. And, and there's probably three-quarters of the locker room right now walking around with a lack of passion, showing up and going through the motions. I cringe when I see Matt Hardy chasing that 24-7 belt. Cringe. I almost take it personally. It hurts me inside to see it. Well, I mean, and one thing I do want to play is what Dean had to say about his passion. We tried really hard to do get cool stuff. We did some good stuff, but, I mean, I was like pretty brain getting brain dead at that point like starting to get like because it's like they take wrestling away from you wrestling is my first love my only love besides my wife that in my thing i'm most passionate about i love it you know i feel like now i got it back finally you know since i was a little kid i was obsessed Mm -hmm. just watching tapes always watching tapes always thinking of promos i want to watch all the wrestling just like uh, i love pacing around my house just thinking of promos waking up in the middle of the night because you just thought of a cool line a way to tell a story of a match or whatever like oh my god and then i'm just pacing through the house cutting promos of myself in the mirror promos used to be my favorite part of wrestling Mm -hmm. i loved it they they ended up becoming my least favorite part the part i dread because now it's not me coming up with ideas and and coming up with a way to hook you into our story it's me writing me trying to not look like an idiot Mm -hmm. me trying to appease all these different people you know sitting down with a writer while he's writing like that is not how it's supposed to be you know it's like when i first they never had any plans for me as a baby face never Mm. right when the shield broke up i think they're gonna do a little feud with me and seth and then if i just petered out and went away they would have been fine with that they had no idea i was gonna get over and i got over on my own my vision, you know, they had the authority and stuff at the time, you know, and which was kind of perfect for me. And my vision for the character kind of was like, okay, I have no idea I'd be a baby face. I had no idea. I mean, one thing we knew, Bully, when it came to the WWE, especially right now, I don't think you would say this 20 years ago, but right now the, the art of the promo is dead. Completely dead. But, but there are some people who are doing a good job with it. The Samoa Joe do a good job with his scripted promo? He does a good job, yes. Does Sami Zayn do a good job? He does. Does uh, Alexa Bliss do a good job? Yes. Okay, so if I'm Vince McMahon, those are my examples right off the top of my head. You don't like your scripted promo? How come they're doing so well with their scripted promos? But I, I, I see both sides, Dave. I see both sides very clearly. If I was, a, if I was a, if if I was a lawyer, I could make an argument for the office, and I could make an argument for the wrestler. One of the things that Dean just said in that clip, though, this is what resonated with me the most. He said after his little feud with Seth, they didn't care if I petered out, but I got over on my own. Uh, that was your first mistake, Dean. You got over on your own. You're not allowed to do that anymore, That's Dean. That's crazy to me. You're not allowed to do that crazy. anymore. Okay? Now, people are going to say Becky Lynch, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 was the, it was the time of the women. So Becky Lynch had a perfect storm go on. She got knocked the hell out by Nia. She was a bloody mess. Which wasn't the, planned, obviously. With, exactly. Perfect storm. You know, we're pushing the women, and the people were so behind Becky that there's no way that you could, you know, turn your back to what was going on with this. With Dean, they didn't have any plans for Dean, and now he starts to get over on his own, and they're saying, well, w- he wasn't one of the chosen ones. We don't want him getting over. So therefore, if they don't want you to get over, <clears throat> you won't get over. Now you have to get over with the people. Now you have to go the other route. Now you have to go the, the Daniel Bryan route. You have to get so over that they can't deny you anymore. You force them to look twice. The, these things that Dean is going through, I can't say <clears throat> that other people don't... W- w- Back in the day, back in my day, quote unquote, 
if you could get over on your own, they would run with you, a la Austin 316. Today, if they don't choose you to get over, you're only going to achieve uh, 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 the success that they want you to achieve. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Let me ask you this, Dave. The, the way WWE played out the last couple of uh, days uh, with, with Ambrose, it seemed that they were leaving the door open for a possible return, right? Yes. They had the final night of the Shield. It was a very feel-good moment. It was on the network. The way they left with the very final scene you saw, you could see that band getting back together one day, yes or no? Yes. After what Moxley has said publicly, do you think they can ever get the band back together? It would be very, very difficult for that to happen. Now, in the WWE, you never say never, and we've seen, you know... Um, the Ultimate Warrior. Exa- you, know. you just stole the word right out of my mouth. Yeah, the, you know, God bless his soul, you know, the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, things can be worked out in the best interest of business. So, I don't necessarily think that they did him wrong on the way out, and I can understand how he felt he was done wrong for years a lot of people get done wrong over there. That doesn't make it right for Dean, though, and, and that's where I applaud him for standing up for himself because that's what you have to do in this business. You have to stand up for yourself. Knowing you signed a contract, you signed yourself over, you basically sold your soul to a company who's going to do whatever they want to do with you, and he did whatever he possibly could. He wasn't a douche. He didn't leave. Yep. He showed up. He did everything that was asked of him. He wasn't difficult to deal with. He did everything in his power. You can only go to Vince McMahon. It sounds like he went to Vince McMahon several times. The frustration grew in him, and he did the right thing. He waited out his contract, and then he split. In my opinion, the way I'm looking at Dean right now, he's like the Scott Hall of 2019. Yeah. It's like Scott split WWF, showed up on WCW, and boom, something happened, right? Yeah. Dean splits WWE, shows up on AEW, boom, something happens. And you know what, Bully, and I, and I love what you're saying because he has the, in my eyes, he has the freedom to do that because he did the good, he did good business and he did things the right way. The fact that he waited out his contract, fulfilled his contract, even though, the, as he said, the last nine months was extremely painful for him to do that. And he talked about it with Chris Jericho that, hey, you know what? I wanted to walk out, but I was never going to walk out because I wanted to do good business. So when you do good business, that gives you the freedom to go about and do the things the way he did it. And in doing good business, what he's telling Tony Khan is, if things don't go right over here, at least you can count on me to do good business. Because other owners of wrestling companies will look at how you did business in the other companies. Listen, Medusa dropping that belt on Nitro didn't do her any favors. It didn't. Because, because all that's telling your new boss is, well, if she's willing to screw over Vince McMahon the way she did, maybe one day she'll be willing to screw me over too. With Dean, you can't say that because, because a guy like Tony Khan now looks at Dean and goes, he was unhappy for a long period of time, yet he still showed up and did his job like an honorable man who lived up to his contractual obligations. If anything were to go wrong in my company, AEW, I can probably count on him to do the same thing. And that's how you want to go about doing business. Not the bullshit baby way of bitching, moaning, and crying. Yeah, and then walking out before your contract is fulfilled. It goes both ways. You know, people want what they want and what they feel that they deserve. But when you sign a contract, you fulfill that contract. I have no problems with the way Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley did business because he did good business. Austin will be the first one to admit that walking out on Monday Night Raw was not the right thing to do, right? And he regrets it. There you go. And he regrets it. There's a certain way to go about things. And and, and that's why you, you can't fault Dean at all. 
Dean did it exactly the way you're supposed to do it. I've been saying on this show, if you're mad over there, if you're frustrated, this is any wrestling company, not just WWE, because I don't want it to be ne- a negative pileup on them. If you are disgruntled in a wrestling contract and you're not happy, it is your duty to let creative know to try to fix it. And if nothing can be done, you do exactly what's asked of you to do until the end of your contract and then you leave because you signed up to do a job. And you need to do the job to the best of your ability and maintain your professionalism. You don't sit home. You don't walk out. You don't leave. That's not the right way to do it. And that's in John Moxley did everything the right way. One thing he did say on Talk is Jericho that I want to play that really grabbed my attention, Bully, and I want to get your take, is about when he, he talked about being out with that injury. And he also talked about, you know, as it got closer to his return, how he was feeling about returning. To pro wrestling and then i started thinking man maybe they're sitting around in the writer's room right now discussing what they're going to do for my return and it's like me coming back in an oscar meyer wiener mobile or something and then i started getting like anxiety and like and i started going oh i'm so excited to come back to wrestling but i'm not excited about coming back to wwe i was picturing myself other places i was picturing myself coming back to like czw mm. i was picturing myself in japan Anywhere but WWE. Wow. So, you know, he's coming back from injury. He's going to make his return. He's excited about it. He's excited about returning to pro wrestling bully, but not excited about returning to the WWE. It's hard to get excited when you've been um, victimized for so long by the creative that was handed to him. So a guy like him who's so passionate, and I got to tell you, man, Dean at his core is an ECW guy. I know he's a CZW guy, but when I say he's an ECW guy, there are certain people that are so passionate about this business that you could t- I know for a fact they were ECW guys. And the two I could tell you off the top of my head are are Dean and Punk at their cores. ECW guys, a certain passion for the wrestling industry that only few of us shared. Um I can understand how Dean was super excited to go back to his love of wrestling, just not the company he was with at the time. It's like getting back into a bad marriage. You know, Snake Sabre will tell you every reason why he can't get back into the band with Sebastian Bach. Just the thought of it, you know, makes him cringe. You know what? That, that's a that's a great analogy because you talk about the WWE and the millions you can make with the WWE, and you can't sneeze at that. I mean, you know, Dean Ambrose is probably set and is probably has now the freedom to go wherever he wants to go because of the money he made in the WWE. You mentioned Snake Sabo of Skid Row, and obviously with Sebastian Bach, they had huge hits, huge, huge albums. And probably if they get back with Sebastian Bach now, they could have a huge tour. Not going to do it. Why? Because you're handcuffed. Because you're not going to be happy with the surroundings, and it's a toxic atmosphere. It sounds the same thing when you talk about Dean Ambrose in the WWE. For him, it was a toxic atmosphere. Dave, for the longest time, I, after me and Devon left, after our first six years there, when we went and did everything else that we wanted to do, I heard stories from guys and gals from the WWE saying, we can't get over, we can't get over, we can't get over. And I used to say to myself, what do you mean you can't get over? How can you not get over? No matter what happens, once you go through that curtain, you can do whatever you have to do to get over. That's what many of us did. And then when we went back in 2015, I realized what everybody was complaining about. I was like, my God, they don't let you get over right now. They stifle you in so many ways. Don't get me wrong. They take very good care of you financially. Okay? You fly comfortably. They take care of you financially. They're they're more um, cognizant of your health. They go out of their way to make sure you're taken care of. But you can't get over. Lord knows that I went back there. Listen, I got into arguments with Arn Anderson. I would, me and Devon would come up with double team spots and he'd be like, Bubba, why the hell would you want to do that? 
Because I'm like, Arn, it worked like a charm for us and the Hardys 15 years ago. Oh, well, you can't do that anymore. Why? Why can't we do it? It worked then. Why won't it work now? So when people are telling me they couldn't get over, I, now I understood it. So like I said, I understand where Dean is coming from. It's hard to be somebody that you know you're not. And we're finally getting the version of him that the wrestling world wants to see. You know, it's funny, and, and I kind of relate everything back to, to, to football because that's definitely my wheelhouse, Bully. And, it re, you know, Cowboy fan reminds me of the Cowboys in 1973. That, key, that team was always successful, but it couldn't go to the next level because Tom Landry had a system, and he wouldn't deviate from that system. So the players that he brought in were just role players in the system that he wanted. And it, it even it even trickled down to the quarterback until finally he had Roger Staubach. And Roger Staubach said, take the handcuffs off of me, coach, because I can do so much more if you can give me the freedom to do it. And what did it do? Once he took that handcuffs, handcuffs off of Roger Staubach, they won a Super Bowl. I'm wondering, Bully, if Vince McMahon – you know, in, in a lot of ways, especially creatively, took the handcuffs off of some of these performers that this company could go back to being mainstream again. Listen, it's hugely popular. There's no doubt the numbers are there. But it's missing something. Do you think he'll ever do that? Do you think Vince McMahon would say, you know what, in order to get back to that next level, I'm going to have to take the handcuffs off of certain people? Well, let's analyze it. Who has he taken the handcuffs off of? Well, in history or just recently? Um, past 10 years. Probably. I, I mean, my only one I would throw out is maybe Daniel Bryan. So that you can only come up with one name? Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know. And you're right. That is probably the only name. Because there was a, a surge from the WWE universe that Vince could not turn his back on. Same thing with Becky. So Becky and Daniel, the only one that have really been, the handcuffs have really been taken off. And I'm going to say more Daniel than Becky. And, Becky is still under massive control. And I will say this when it came to Becky, it seemed like they were going in that direction with Becky. Like you mentioned, hey, the mistake with Nia punching her in the face, the broken nose, the blood everywhere. And we're like, oh, my God, we're on the verge of something amazing. But they put their hands on Dean talked about that, about them putting their hands on everything. And it seemed like they put their hands on Becky, and we would both agree that it cooled things down. It is their entertainment company, though, isn't it? It is. I saw a very interesting interview. I think it was with Susan Lucci, the soap opera star, many years ago, in which they said, Susan, you've been on this soap opera now for 20 years. You show up every day and you act out what you know the writers write. Do you ever have any input on your character? And she was like, absolutely not. That's not what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to act out what they create. That's my job and I stay in my lane. Is wrestling any different? It's, I, I think it should be. Okay. I think but, it should be. But it's comparable. The I, best thing for a guy like Dean experienced a lot of success in the WWE, but he also has that bad taste in his mouth. Thank God that there are companies like AEW now, like Ring of Honor, like Impact, like House of Hardcore, like MLW, where you can go and be the versions of yourself. I can guarantee you that there is th the same amount of control that there is in the WWE is not in these places. They encourage you to be the people that you want to be. My God, Ring of Honor encouraged Cody and the Bucks to be the versions of who they wanted to be that they created their own freaking company. Yes. So if you don't like it, get the frick out. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM. No car required.
We probably have had no guest on more than this man, but every single time we have him on, there's something new to talk about. And there's even more to talk about than ever with the great Chris Jericho. Chris, how are you today? I think the biggest thing to talk about, LaGreca, is that Kiss has added Crazy Nights back into the set for the European uh, leg of the tour, which makes me mad because they didn't play it in America. So now I want to travel to Leipzig to see Kiss play Crazy, Crazy Nights. Other than that, uh, what's going on with you guys? I mean, first of all, man, I can't sneeze on that. Are they really playing Crazy Nights in the U.K.? Yes. Oh, God. Yes. And I've been telling Paul and Gene, you guys got to play more 80s Kiss. <laughs> And they played Heavens on Fire and then nothing else past that on the American tour. And now they're doing Crazy Nights while I'm not there. So, typical. Here we go. Name dropping Paul and Gene 30 seconds into the show. Oh, yeah. You know, I told Paul and Gene that they should play Crazy Nights. I love it. And you know what? And they should listen because the world is listening to Talk is Jericho and First of all, Chris, thanks for giving us a topic to talk about on today's show because all we've talked about is talk is Jericho. Isn't it funny, though? I think the last time uh, I came on the show, I was originally booked to talk about one thing, and then something else happened in the meantime to to talk about uh, as well. And that's kind of what happened. We were going to talk about All In, and then, you know, as Ed Whalen used to say, in the meantime and in between time, the uh, talk is Jericho with John Moxley comes out, and now that's the number one most talked about thing over the last couple of days. Chris, you sat down and you spoke with him for a while. I'm sure there's a lot of things that you took away from the conversation. Is there anything that shocked you about what Dean said? Well, first of all, it's interesting because um, he told me afterwards that he's been going over this podcast in his head for like a month and you know, he was ready to go. Like there, there, this was no like, Hey man, do you want to do a podcast? It was like, I want to do talk to Jericho. I got a lot of stuff I want to say. Can we do this? So I went over to his house a couple of days before, um, double or nothing and, 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 and sat down. And it was one of those ones where you press record, you say, here's John Moxley. And like an hour and a half later, you say, thank you. Good night. Sort of thing. Um, I just, nothing really surprises me because, as you know as well, Bubba, we've been there. And I've been through all of those things that he, that he described, obviously different versions and different experiences, but the same tone. Uh, lots of micromanaging, lots of, uh, we call it in Hollywood, you miscast. It's a miscast actor playing a part that he's not supposed to be playing. Um, you know, I, I found it very, I think, very eye-opening if you're not inside the business. And that's one thing that happens when you work in the WWE for a long period of time. You forget how the real world really works, and you live in the WWE universal bubble, shall we speak. When I left in May of 2017, it was very similar to the reason why uh, Moxley left. It's, the mental strain is very uh, difficult, and that's the part of the wrestling business that I don't like, and to me, I couldn't really do it anymore. He had it on a way crazier level, obviously. So I, I think this is one of the reasons why, and I have to say this, this is not a typical Jericho, you know, braggadocious statement, but just to show you how monumental this podcast is, in the 18 hours since it's come out, it's not just become the highest rated episode, it's become my highest rated episode two times. It's done double wow. what the previous highest rated episode is in 18 hours. So you can see there's a lot of people that are checking this out because of the reputation that it's starting to get of being this very eye-opening, honest account of what it can be like there if you're frustrated. So, so, so let me ask you this. You said you were able to understand that everything that Dean was going through as as was I able to understand, and I think many wrestlers who've been there can totally understand Dean's point of view. You said Dean had it much worse. Did Dean have it much worse because you had more creative freedom within the company? Yes. Um, And I had the same frustration that he had. First of all, it's the exact same frustration that, that I had when I left WCW in 1999. It's, it's a carbon copy story. 
uh, and, and, and Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, we all had the same thing. We don't want to do this anymore. Don't want to do what? We don't want to wrestle. What? We, you don't want to wrestle? No, we don't want to wrestle at all. We don't, we don't want to play anymore. And when you grow up doing nothing, I mean, you know, God bless him. Chris Benoit, that guy did nothing but wrestle his whole life. You know, he all he ever did was wrestle. He never had a, he never worked at a deli or a paper read or anything. He didn't want to do it anymore. Eddie Guerrero, you know, second generation, legendary, didn't want to do it. I want to quit. I want to go get a job in a gas station. That's what it, it, it can do to you when you're creatively frustrated and, you know, stifled to where you don't even want to, don't even want to think about wrestling. And I think, for me, throughout the years, the last few years, I loved it. But I can tell it's starting to get difficult because you start feeling that, that, that pressure. And I remember Shawn Michaels told me once, I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. From all the different opinions and thoughts and ideas of micromanaging. And when Shawn Michaels says that, I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. When you start getting that into your head, then you're in trouble because then you start losing your confidence and you're scrambling to try and make things that previously were very easy to do uh, and you're trying to make them work not knowing exactly how. That's what can happen to you when you don't have that creative freedom and that creative confidence take some chances and have some fun. Well, now you're talking about the creative process and I'll just go back to you, Chris, in the WWE in 2017. You know, we talked about it here on Busted Open a million times. I thought the main event for that WrestleMania was going to be you and Kevin Owens for the Universal Championship. And then as it got closer to WrestleMania, it completely changed. And as you said, you're the second match on WrestleMania. So, And you had the creative freedom. The story was the best story that was being told on TV. But Brock comes back and they completely changed the landscape for Brock Lesnar. I mean, that's got to be frustrating because you're, you have your creative juices. It's working. It's clicking. But then the company completely decides to go in a different direction. Before I answer that, I want to say this. Listen, that's the way it works in WWE. Nobody can ever complain when things change or when plans change or when matches change. That's just how it goes. And, and this isn't a case of I'm taking my ball and going home. Um, when you work for Vince, Vince has a certain way of doing things, and you embrace it, and you do, like 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 Mox said, you do everything you can to make it good. But I think I believe it was the Cuban sandwich analogy, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. You know, you want to eat a Cuban sandwich in the ring? Okay, I'm going to bust it on my face. I'm going to eat that Cuban sandwich like a mofo. Now, now to continue with that, yes, I I did realize that there was kind of a end of the road for me uh, when when we did that because in 2016-17, I think I'm not being egotistical to say the best story, the best story on that show was the Kevin Owens Chris Jericho saga, teaming together, breaking up, festival of friendship, the whole thing leading into WrestleMania. Now, there was a point in time when the main event for WrestleMania was penciled in to be Jericho versus Owens for the Universal title. Now, I'm not going to blame Brock Lesnar or Goldberg or anything. Vince decided to change his mind and go with Goldberg versus Lesnar for the title. Now you have the hottest story in the company with no title at stake. still doesn't matter. We shouldn't have been second match on the card. We should not have been second match on the card. And when I saw that we were slotted as that, I didn't realize it much at the time, but in retrospect, that's when I knew it was time to split. Because if you have the best story on the show that everybody's into, everybody's excited about, and we're second, there's really not much more I can do to get any higher on that card. So it's time to leave. And that's an old school territorial mentality. And it's not being angry or, or bitter or, or, you know, I should have done this. It's like, okay, it's time to leave. Because you need to get away to, to, to freshen up your name and, and to, to do something different. I went to Japan. You know, Mox went to AEW. I ended up at AEW as well. And look what happens when a guy who leaves WWE kind of just treading water in a creative slump fills up in 10 seconds and becomes the hottest guy in the business. Uh, and don't even, don't even mention what the talk is Jericho thing, which has made him even hotter. But at the end of Double or Nothing, Everybody was talking about Moxley. Everybody. And, you know, everyone was talking about Dustin Rhodes. Everybody. 
no one was talking about those guys if they stayed in WWE and did, did the same thing they'd been doing there. That's why it's good to have uh, an alternative and it's good to have a choice of a different place to go because it can revitalize your career in one night, in one, in one minute, which is basically what happened for both of those guys. Chris, you've been a part of a lot of moments in, um, in your career, and, it's, and it's, about, it's about those memorable moments that will live on forever. Can you describe the moment of you and Moxley standing in the ring face-to-face with each other? Where does it rank on your moments list for you personally? I mean, it's right up there, man. I mean, you know, if you go through the moments just off the top of my head, Dean Malenko taking off the mask, uh, sequel payback in 98 in WCW, or, um, you know, Dolph Ziggler saying, hey, bring anybody out to be the number two entrant in the Royal Rumble, and it's me, and no one knew it was going to be me. I mean, you know, there's, there's been great reveals. My reveal in Chicago when I first debuted. I mean, there's probably a million other ones. Those are just ones that pop into my head right now, but... You know, there's certain moments when, when you, uh, I don't know what the word is, book them, create them, write them. You just know it's going to be great. And then, you know, thinking about the camera shot and how are we going to do this and what, what's going to be, you know, the, the, the cue for the guy to come down. You just know in the back of your mind, like, this is going to blow the roof off the place. And, you know, we're going to have a great show. And if the show is a 10 out of 10, this is going to make it an 11. If it's a 5 out of 10, it's going to make it an 11. Like if it's a 0 out of 10, it's going to make it an 11. It doesn't matter what you do. The end of the show is going to end off on this moment, and it's going to be an iconic, historical moment. Now, tack on the fact that we did have a 10 out of 10 show with this amazing ending that nobody uh, expected, and this time literally nobody expected it. You know, we had it hidden away, and nobody knew, and I love when that happens because I hate when some blabbermouth spoils the surprise that so-and-so is backstage, you know, that takes away all the fun and the magic of pro wrestling. But when it works, when pro wrestling works, there's nothing better. And that's a moment in time that, that worked beyond what anybody expected. And I just knew, like, no, no music, no focusing on him, just with this organic build. And there's a great uh, video that was on the AEW Instagram story. Someone was filming it from behind Moxley. So when he comes from the crowd, He's walking by, and you see people start doing the double take. And, and you know, it's like a zombie attack. At first there's one, and, and then there's two, and then there's five, and there's 20. And suddenly there's a whole section of people that are cheering. And people are looking what's going on, and then the whole arena is buzzing and screaming and freaking out that, that Moxley is there. And then, of course, you know, being the typical heel, I'm expecting that the cheers are for me. They're all finally about to get my thank you. This is great. Turn around, and there he is. And it's just one of those moments, like like you said, Bubba, where like I love this shit. This is where you really love being a part of the business because it's when all the fruit lines up and you win the jackpot. And you knew it was going to work, but when it works better than you expected, that's the best feeling in the world for sure. And and you talk about, I mean, we were just talking about 2017 and some of the frustrations that you had in 2017. Now here we are in 2019 and. You know, talk is Jericho is hotter than it's ever been. You're a part of AEW in the main event, in the championship title scene. You have a guest appearance on Busted Open. I mean, did you really think that, like, two years separated from that, that your career would be where it is right now? I love how you just stuck that in there as if I wasn't going to remark that. A championship match and a great career. And this having as a chance on Busted Open, it's like, geez. Way to throw in the. Uh, that's his Paul. That's his. Pa- that's his Paul and Gene line. <laughs> yeah. You threw in the chocolate pudding with the flaming on that one. Um, hey, listen. Like I said, I've been very. I think a lot of it is. Actually, I won't even use the word luck. I think. I think a lot of it is just instinct. You know, I, I, knowing that it was time to step back from WWE. Of course, Judas had just come out, and there was a lot going on with Fozzie, but. It was the natural time to step away and start focusing on Fozzie. And then when the chance and the idea came up to go work in New Japan with Kenny, and then having that match back in 2018, having so much fun with it, to do some more matches in Japan, which put me around the Bucks and Kenny and Cody, and then doing the cruise and having them come on board, and then AEW starting up. It's just one thing led to another that led to this moment of like, yeah, now, once again, I've been real fortunate to kind of, evolve and reinvent 
career to where here I am in 2019 at 40 years old, just as relevant and as groundbreaking as I've ever been. But now I've got a whole crew of guys that are on the same page, uh, a whole financial backing family that's on the same page, a television network that's on the same page, and quite frankly, a huge segment of the wrestling community and the wrestling fan base is on the same page. This is a very exciting time because I had, I had a little talk with the guys beforehand at the show with the whole crew, just saying, like, don't take any of this for granted. Like, this is something that's never happened before and will probably never happen again. So whether you guys work for another year or 10 years or almost 30 years like I have, remember this night because this is the night that something special started. And this isn't even like the first night of ECW because that started in a different way. And, you know, WWE started in the 40s and NWA started in the 20s. Like to have a company that's a big-time major league company from the very first show on has never happened before. So it's a real, real special moment, and I really wanted everybody to, you know, to, to, to paraphrase myself, to drink it in and enjoy it. So it's really exciting, man, because like you said, and here I am at the forefront of it, and you know, I love the fact that like we had Dustin and Cody having the show-stealing match. Nobody would predict that Dustin Rhodes would have a show-stealing match in 2019 on a show with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers and all these other guys, you know, and then you have the Luchas and Pentas uh, and the Young Bucks have this great match in a different way. Then you have Jericho and Omega just kicking the crap out of each other, having another great match in another way, then having Moxley come out. It's like you had all of these great moments. I think uh, Bubba said it uh, a few days ago about the buffet, and it really was a buffet. It wasn't the same seven matches over and over again. It was very different. Like, I love the Joshi girls match, the Japanese girls, that Freddie Mercury chick was amazing. I was howling how, how like, the, 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 the self-confidence to wear a Freddie Mercury mustache and then to start a We Will Rock You chant. No one knows who the hell she is, and they're all chanting We Will Rock You. Yeah. That's, once again, the true magic of the wrestling business, to have 12,000, 13, 14, 20, thousand people who was in there singing We Will Rock You to a nameless, faceless Japanese chick in the middle of this amazing wrestling card. I mean, I had a lot of people. Corey Taylor, singer of a great friend of mine and a great wrestling fan, touched me halfway through and said, this is the best event I've ever been to. And after so that, that was the best wrestling show I've ever been to. And he's been to them all. And I think a lot of people felt that way because it was so different and was such a mixed bag with everybody just working so hard to do what they do best without having a creative chain on you saying, well, this is how we do things here. This is AEW style. There is no AEW style. What is your style? Come, come paint your picture on the AEW canvas. And if you're good, which you wouldn't, if you weren't good, you wouldn't be on our show. We appreciate your diversity and the way you see things. Show me how you like to do your wrestling. And I think it's one of the reasons why the show was, was such a huge success is because you had so many people painting different pictures Can you describe what it feels like, if it's surreal or not, or if you've given it any thought that in the mid-90s, a young Tony Khan asked his father to take him to the Lulu Temple and the ECW Arena to see Chris Jericho wrestle, and now you work for him, and you're the biggest star in AEW. Have you given that any thought? Yeah, man, I mean, I, I, it's like unbelievable. When I first met Tony, so I'm like, the thing about Tony Khan is, is he is, so he, you know, he's the head of, of, of sports analytics for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and his principles have been used throughout the NFL. So he's an analytics guy. He's a numbers guy. He's a detail guy. He knows everything about wrestling. Um, and when I say everything about wrestling, like, he will tell you, he's one of those guys that says, hey, hey Chris, remember when you and Bubba worked each other uh, in, uh, you know, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska? in, uh, you know, 2002 and, and the finishes, Bubba, you know, did this and that. And you're like, I, really? We worked in Omaha? He remembers all of that stuff. So he is the type of guy that, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he, when he says he's seen every wrestling pay-per-view, he's seen every wrestling pay-per-view, any company, an offshoot, a one-off, whatever. And yeah, that is a true story. When he was, 
14 or 13 or 15, whatever it was, he did really good in school, um, whatever it was, did good on his exams. And his father said, you know, as a reward, you can do anything you want. You can have anything you want. Now, for for me, if I did that, it would be maybe getting a bicycle or a, a, an action figure, a Star Wars guy. When your dad's a billionaire, you can literally have anything you want. And, and what he wanted to do was go see Jericho's last two matches in ECW at the Lulu Temple against Sabu and then at the ECW Arena against Two Cold Scorpio. And he will literally tell you the whole thing. When people were chanting, you sold out at me, he was screaming, he didn't sell out. He's the next big star in wrestling. You should be happy for him. You know, hearing all these stories like this. And then here we are, you know, some 20-odd years later where he is my boss and really went out of his way to, to, to lock me down to kind of have a face for AEW. Now, once again, this is the same thing I did with New Japan last year. Am I the face in some ways? But what I call myself the bridge. I'm the guy that people who go, what is AEW? Well, Chris Jericho works there. Really? Well, we love Chris Jericho. We've seen him a lot. He's done a lot of cool things. Let me go check it out. And then when they come see AEW because of Chris Jericho, then they discover Kenny Omega. Then they discover Cody Rhodes. So I remember him. He's here too. Wow, he's, he's a lot different than what we remember. And Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks and MJF and... You know, everybody else, the Joshi girls and, and Sammy Guevara and, you know, whoever else you can name that was on that show that really had a great performance, they went there because of Jericho as a Jericho fan, and they left as an AEW fan. And that's what my job is. You know, I, you know, I can go up there and have great matches every night, but this is not for me to, to continue making about me. It's about me to be part of a team that's scoring goals and hitting home runs and winning Super Bowls because of all of us. So it's cool to know that it starts with Tony, leads to Chris, and now, like, you know, uh, 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 throwing the seeds down, and all of these other brilliant plants are popping up everywhere. Just wait and see what happens a year from now and how many of these guys are going to be huge stars because of the platform we're getting them. You know, Chris, I mean, obviously – here on Busted Open, all we've talked about since Double or Nothing is AEW. All the wrestling world is talking about is AEW, and it's it's sprinkled into the mainstream as well. Even non-wrestling fans, it's grabbed the attention of them, and they're talking about it. So do you think at all, like, this? did this grab any of the attention of the WWE? Do you think the WWE tuned in to what took place this past weekend? On top of that, I literally just got a text from, from Ryan Barkin at Pro Wrestling Tees saying that uh, Chris Jericho has four of the top ten shirts at ProWrestlingTees.com. So that was just for you, Bubba. I just had to tell you that. I'm sorry. You said that one time. He's so busy trying to get himself over <laughs> that he sorry. wasn't listening to you. It's, no, it's typical Jericho. It's a Jerichoism. <laughs> what, was it, what was it again? I, no, I was just I was wondering if it may be this show because everybody was talking about it coming out of the weekend that it if it grabbed the attention oh, of the WWE at all. I mean, of, of, of course it did. I mean, listen, here's one thing. You, you know, it, it, it might have been different 20 years ago, but they know exactly what's going on. They get daily social media reports, and they're looking at the you know the, the, the analytics and demographics. And you know, I know we had 200,000. Uh, Google search numbers, which is up there with NFL style numbers, they're watching, and I'm sure they're not very happy about a lot of the stuff that happened. I mean, you can't tell me a show that had Chris Jericho, Dustin Rhodes, Jim Ross, Bret Hart, um, you know, Dean Malenko calling the matches backstage didn't make WWE angry or, you know, un uh, uncomfortable or cranky in one way or another. Once again, WWE is a juggernaut. Uh, they're not going anywhere. They've got money uh, to last them for decades and decades and decades, and a huge, huge talent roster uh, that's just bursting at the seams. Um, but this is a sea change. Uh, Ambrose called it a paradigm shift in the promo he did after uh, Double or Nothing. This puts WWE on watch. We are we are calling out to you, not to say what the gates not to say we're going to destroy you with our legions of white walkers like Game of Thrones. What we're saying is there is now officially a new kid on the block. And 
and it's a new cool kid on the block. And once again, I listen to your show quite a bit. You guys know this. Bubba mentioned the cool factor. We have the cool factor, which in sports would be uh, uh, akin to momentum. When you got the big mo behind you, you guys are baseball guys, you know what that means, you can do a lot more. It's hard when you're a colder product. And quite frankly, WWE is cold right now. AEW is hot. Um, we don't have another show for another month. And we don't have weekly TV starting until the fall. So WWE, you have a chance to pick up your socks and change the way you do things. I don't know if they want to. I don't care. I don't work there anymore. I love WWE. I love working for Vince. But I love working for Tony Khan and AEW more right now. Um, and I think we've really started a lot of stuff. It's funny. There's something that, that, that kind of was a forgotten thing. I got a text from Raven and, and both of us. Well, no, we make jokes about Raven and stuff, but the guy's probably one of the genius wrestling minds of our time. Can we both agree on that in some ways, Bubba? Without a doubt. He texted me and said, great match, great finish. He said, your promo was amazing. What a great promo. I forgot about that. You know why? Because the promo was just a time kill in between the match and Moxley's appearance. His cue was when I said, I demand a thank you. So I wanted to build it up a little bit. I didn't even think about the promo. Now, if this was WWE, they would have, well, we would have written a promo, and you'd have to remember this promo, and what's the cue, and what's the shot. The only cue was, when I say thank you, send Mox down. And other than that, I could say whatever the hell I want. And I wasn't micromanaged or overanalyzed or censored. I just said whatever came to my head, as a 30-year heel will do, and people are saying, what a great promo that was. To me, that was a really cool moment. and kind of showed what AEW is all about, which is when you're good and you're an artist, let the artist be artist. We don't have to go through everything note by note for Chris Jericho to do a promo. We don't have to give the agent every single move that Kenny and Chris are going to do so you get the right camera shots. You guys are all pros. We're all pros. Find us. Get the shots organically the same way that when we're running down the field on a, on a Super Bowl winning, you know, pass carrier, whatever the hell you guys say in football, you're not telling the cameraman, okay, now uh, uh, Tony, uh, what's the guy's name, the, 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 the guy who's really good, Brady, is going to throw the ball to this other guy, and then the other guy is going to do a flea flicker, and then it's going to hit this other guy. I think, no, oh, it doesn't work that way. Stick with, the, stick with the hockey references. <laughs> yeah, I try to, no, I just go back to rock and roll. You know, It's like a Neil Young set list. He calls it on the fly, and that's the way it should be. We bring that to the table already. It's different. And WWE, I think the way they do things is a little stale. Are they going to react? I don't expect them to. I just think it's exciting that it's, there's an alternative. Because I keep saying there's nothing wrong with giving people a choice. And we do things differently. Already we do things differently. Because we're giving more freedom and more trust to the artists to do what they do best. And what's next for you, Chris, is going after Hangman Page for that AEW championship. And I think Hangman Page is the next star, is the next big star. And I think everybody's really looking forward to that matchup. I know I am. Um, once again, this is not a, a meticulously booked thing that was told to me. I was basically told it a couple of days before. And that's one of the guys I'm looking forward to working with. Of course, I love working with Kenny, and I'm excited to work with a lot of guys, but Hangman is a guy that I saw right off the bat. I've never worked with him. Don't really know much about him. But there's, I saw a few of those guys in the ring where I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be fun. And I'm really looking forward to it with Hangman. And I, I think, like you said, he's one of the guys. We're, we're, we're really lucky. We have a great roster of there's a few top veterans. There's a few blue-chip rookies. And there's this great selection of, of names. Uh, and guys like Hangman Page who will be names, they just need to work with guys like me, and this is the perfect opportunity to do that. So once again, I'm excited to, to prove a lot of people, um, not wrong, but what can Jericho and Hangman Page do in the main event of the next show? And the sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. I'm expecting to have a, another great performance and another great match, and, and um, I think this will be a lot of a spotlight on the two of us as a match you've never seen before with a guy who's basically untapped. He's just got potential, but I can't think of a five-star match that he's had. I mean, maybe he's had a few, but I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting in there and locking horns with him uh, at, uh, at All Out.
Chris, last one from me. With all of the excitement that's surrounding AEW, and AEW being the, the, the talk of the wrestling world and the alternative to the WWE, what can you guys do between now and your very first night that you debut on TNT to ensure that when you come out of the box that night, that there's a chance you guys pop a bigger rating than a Raw or a SmackDown. Well, I mean, here's the thing, and I think it's the only, the only downer or, or negative, whatever word you want to use, is that even too big, too big of a word of what I'm trying to say, is that we don't have another show until you know the fight is fast and we got fight for the fall, and so that's a, a June show and a July show and then an August show, and then we start October. So we got one show a month to continue this buzz and this momentum. All eyes were on us at Double or Nothing, and we've got. Like I said, we've got so much of a buzz right now. And to keep it going, I guess the best way to do that is just the same way that we kept this buzz going from February when we announced Double or Nothing to now. Uh, we've got the power of social media behind us, which we use better than anybody. I think all of those matches for Double or Nothing were built basically online, on Instagram, on YouTube, you know, on Twitter. And we can continue to do that. Um, I think we've got some great shows coming up to, to keep that spot in us. Because nowadays, whether you do a show in front of 20,000 people or in front of 1,000 people, it's going to get around and going to get online, and we're going to use it the best we can. So we just have to be smart with what we do. We have to keep the buzz rolling. And knowing when we get into I mean, there's going to be such a huge, huge uh, uh, I, 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 celebration, maybe, when, when the first AEW show goes on, TV, on uh, TNT. Because it's the first time, like I said, in decades, and in fact, had some moments on, on cable TV. I shouldn't say that, but this is different because we now have the pool factor. We have all the momentum. All the, all the chips are in our basket, and it's up to us to continue doing that. Now, here's the best part about it. This is not a, uh, a, 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 a brass, you know, the, the office, the, the brain trust, shall we say, of, you know, WWE, the... the Let's be honest, Vince is 75. There's a lot of guys in the 60s and late 50s and that sort of thing uh, in mid-50s in the brain trust. Our brain trust is made up of a bunch of mid-30-year-olds. Uh, I think that's great, 30-somethings, um, because you have a, a younger mindset. A lot of people go, what do those guys know about running a company? Probably the same thing that Vince McMahon uh, knew when he started running the company in 1982 when he was how old? 35, whatever it was. Now's the time for these guys to start learning and being grinned up. I'm in there too. I'm 48, so I'm a little bit older, but I got a much younger mindset. And when you're around younger guys, it's contagious. And guess who the wrestling fans are that we're trying to get? The younger uh, demographics. So I think there's a whole untapped world out there. I'll tell you something right now. My daughter, Sierra, and my daughter, Cheyenne, they're 12. Guess who their favorite wrestler was on the show? Jungle Boy. You know why? Because Jungle Boy is 21 years old. That's their demographic. We've got those type of guys that WWE does not have to get these young girls, teenage girls, to watch the show. There's a whole new world that AEW uh, has uh, has to, to, to offer and can open up of this wrestling fan that's either gone dormant or doesn't even know that they like wrestling. But we're going to go for that younger market, and we'll see what happens. But I think, like you said, it's going to be very interesting to see what that first week's number is when we go on the air. Because that will set the tone. Uh, and then, then the challenge and, 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 and the ball is in our court to do it every week. And that's when the real hard work starts. Well, well, Chris, you may have not gotten the thank you from AEW, but thank you for coming on the show. And uh, always so much to talk about. Again, talk is Jericho. John Moxley, the guest. It's what everyone's talking about. Fozzie signing with Sony. Chris Jericho, Rock and Wrestling Rager, coming up in January. I'm sure we'll get you on again as we get closer to the cruise. Hey, like you said, man, it's been a career resurgence for me. Uh, uh, one in the main event of one of the biggest shows of all time. You know, got a championship title match. Chris, as as always, thanks so much. And especially the biggest thing is breaking the news about Crazy Nights being back in the set for Kiss's end of the road tour. So we appreciate everything you brought to the table today. They try to tell us we're going to be there.
FYA. <laughs> and you know what? I will say this, Chris, and I don't know when it's going to drop. You know what? You know what? Oh, he hung up? Son of a bitch. I had one more question. He didn't listen to your question earlier, and he hung up on you. Ah, ah, ah. See what happens when you're the host? Unbelievable. All right. Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.